You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from two different places. First, in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which is on page 2 of your, or actually page 4 of your uh, pew Bibles, if you wanted to follow along with the reading. And then we're going to flip over to the, to the book of Romans and read from chapter 3 and chapter 5. But Genesis tells us this. The snake was the most cunning animal that the Lord God made. And the snake asked the woman, Did God really tell you not to eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman answered, We may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, except for the tree in the middle of it. God told us not to eat that fruit of the tree or even to touch it, and if we do, we'll die. The snake replied, That's not true. You will not die. God said that because he knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God and know what is good and what is bad. The woman saw how beautiful the tree was and how good its fruit would be to eat, and she thought how wonderful it would be to become wise. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband, and he also ate it. And as soon as they had eaten it, they were given understanding and realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. And then from the book of Romans in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. But the free gift of God's grace, but by the free gift of God's grace, all are put right with him through Christ Jesus, who sets them free. And then from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, For when we were still helpless, Christ died for the wicked at the right time that God chose. It is a difficult thing for someone to die for a righteous person. It may even be that someone might dare to die for a good person. But God has shown us how much he loves us in this. It is while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And by his sacrificial death, we are now put right with God. How much more then will, will we be saved from him by, from God's anger? Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So in the year 2001, a cinematic universe was born that gave us four feature films, two spin-offs, 13 video games, five theme park attractions, and even a Broadway musical. Any guesses as to which cinematic universe we're talking about this morning? The answer is that in the year 2001, the world was introduced to the world of Shrek. Shrek is a bad-tempered but good-hearted ogre who wants nothing more than his swamp back. And in order to get his swamp back, he begrudgingly accepts a mission to rescue a princess, and it results in him finding friends along the way. And he even had subsequent adventures in the fairy tale world because of that first adventure. 
As with every good hero, he has a sidekick, he has a traveling companion that is played by a talking donkey. And while they're on their first journey, the talking donkey, cleverly named Donkey, voiced by Eddie Murphy, is trying to figure out why Shrek the Ogre is so grumpy all of the time. And Shrek tries to explain it, but it gets complicated. Shrek tries to come up with an analogy to help the donkey understand, and he gives us the now famous line that ogres are like onions. Ogres are like onions. And the donkey supposes that ogres are like onions because they stink and make people cry. But that's not what Shrek is going for. He says that ogres are like onions because onions have layers. There is more to the grumpy exterior of Shrek the ogre if only people would be willing to do the digging and peel back those layers. And I just got to tell you that I thought of that this week because theology is like an onion. Some of it stinks and it has certainly made me cry through the years. Okay, maybe that's not the actual reason why. Theology is like an onion because theology has layers. There are layers and layers to our understanding of who God is and how it is that God works. There are so many layers that it cannot completely be encapsulated in one sermon or even one sermon series. So a few weeks ago, we started off this sermon series by talking about theology, the study of the things of God. And everything that has come since then has been us peeling back those layers, which led us to a few weeks ago when we we talked about grace. We talked about grace being God's loving actions towards creation and especially humanity. And the word that we're talking about today comes from us peeling back more and more of those layers of what grace means. But unlike peeling it back, it will never stink. But for the good reasons, it might just make us cry. Today we're talking about the word soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. When I put the bulletin together and sent it to Sarah, her exact words to me were, good luck, because I can't even pronounce this word. Soteriology is the doctrine and the study of salvation. As we talked about a few weeks ago, and as we might remember from school, any time we're dealing with an ology, we are dealing with the study of something. So we got that part at least, right? So we're left with soter. Soteriology, the first part of it, soter, comes from a Greek word that means savior or preserver. So this is this study of how it is that God saves us. And the technical definition from Stanley Grenz's Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms says that soteriology deals with the work of the triune God in bringing creation and especially humanity 
to enjoy the divine purpose for their existence. And more specifically, soteriology deals with the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus Christ in in relation to salvation. So now we know, amen. Joking. Soteriology, salvation, and specifically the mighty and saving acts of God made known in Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about when he gets to his letter to the Romans. It's the problem that we have to overcome that is made known to us in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, and quite frankly our own lived existence, tells us the story and teaches us the reality that sin exists. No matter who we are, and no matter how we live, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and nothing has changed that. What we learn in the book of Genesis is that the serpent distorts God's command from Genesis chapter 2, and it piques Eve's attention. She listens to the words of the serpent, and then she considers the tree. And she sees that it is savory, that its fruit is beautiful, and that it is coveted as the source of wisdom. And so she wonders to herself how wonderful it would be to become wise. But I like the way that Linda Hilton puts it in her commentary on the book of Genesis. The ability to know good from evil does not seem to be the point of God's rule against the fruit. Adam and Eve are expected to know that eating the fruit is wrong, and they are expected to choose to obey God's law. But what happens instead is that the woman decides to satisfy her appetite, to satisfy her creativity, to satisfy her desire for power. And it's so easy for us living in our day and age to curse those first humans for doing what they did. It's so easy for us to just be baffled by their disobedience. But the reality is is that not a lot has changed since then, right? We still all have an appetite. We still all have a curiosity. We still all have a desire for power. And so as a result, Paul the Apostle helps us to see that the problem is really bigger than any two human beings. The problem is is that all of us fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us, all of us, we are under the power of sin because we all fall short of the glory of God. But as we discovered a few weeks ago, as we unpacked grace, as we peeled back those layers, all is not lost. All hope is not lost because sin exists. And that's because grace exists. And if we pull back the layers of that onion even more, we learn that salvation exists. Grace exists is God's loving actions towards creation. Salvation, in that same onion, salvation is one specific act 
of God's love. And salvation is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. God sent Jesus to reintroduce God's people to a covenant made generations ago. But even more than that, God sent Jesus in order to expand that covenantal love, that covenantal grace, that covenantal relationship to all of God's people. Through Jesus, we have access to God. It, Jesus came to, 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 to extend that covenant to all of us. And so even though all of us fall short of the glory of God, even though all of us have sin in our lives, we all experience the glory of God made known in Jesus. We experience the glory of God made known in Jesus. That's why Paul says to the Romans, while we were still weak, Jesus died for us. When we were still helpless, Christ died for the wicked. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me and for all of humanity so that we can overcome our human condition. What Jesus did and what God accomplished was nothing that we could do for ourselves. And it was all about God's saving on God's own behalf. While we were still sinners, while we were, before we were righteous, before we were good, while we still stunk and could be called those that made God cry. And I got to be honest with you, I cannot fathom the idea of someone giving up their life for me. I know who I am. I know what lies behind all those layers I could pull back, and none of it makes Jesus' death on the cross make any more sense. This is why Paul wrote to the Romans that it would be difficult enough to get someone to die for a good person or a righteous person. And maybe it would be that someone would give up their life for some great good or moral principle. But the wonder of Jesus is that while we were still sinners, while we were still in hostility to God, Jesus came and died on the cross. Paul's point is that it's tricky. It's complicated. Even with the wonderful onion analogy, there's no analogy that makes it make sense. And the reality is, is that there are still so many layers that we could pull back and look at what salvation is and how it works and what it means. But it comes down to this. God loves you exactly as you are. God loves you exactly as you are, enough to send Jesus to die for you. But let us remember that salvation is a bringing. Salvation is a process. And so even though God loves you exactly as you are, God loves you enough to not leave you as you once were. Salvation changes us. Salvation changes us. 
through the life of or through the death of Jesus, new life is possible. And by looking back on his example, we learn to live the life that God has given us. And as we go and as we learn, we realize that we're still going to fall short of the glory of God. I'm sorry, nothing changes that. But we fall short of the glory of God as those who have been saved. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his ongoing work in our lives, we are free from the weight of our layers. We are free from the things in our lives that just stink. We are free from the weight of that in our lives that makes us cry. We are free to accept grace in our lives. We are free to feel the power of salvation. And we are free to live as those who have been put right with God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for your saving work on our behalf. We give you thanks for the ways that we realize that we've been saved. But more than that, we give you thanks for the ways that your saving grace still baffles us. We give you thanks for the difference you make in our lives every day. for the way salvation works to clear the muck and to make us more like you. Help us accept the gift of salvation, the gift of your grace, and help us to live in your light all of our days. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.